It's 12.09, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We've got a lot of stuff on today's program, as we've been doing recently, and we'll do pretty much every day. We live stream the first couple segments of the program. You can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. The parlor game is, did my wife dress me or did I dress myself? You can check that out. And, and today, today, I think the answer is going to be pretty self-evident if you go and, and kind of check that out. Um, just a couple observations before we get into the gist of, of the program. Friday night, Eric Bilstadt, I was awake. I stayed up. Until one o'clock in the morning, I I was I was watching the Packers game, but oh. but I but I but I watched the Brewers game. Okay, that, it okay. was you know I I always say this about sporting events: you never know what you are going to see. And I have been I have been going to baseball games since my grandfather used to take me to Memorial Stadium in Baltimore to watch the Baltimore Orioles play. Probably when I was five years old, I've been going to baseball games since I was five years old. I've never seen a game like the one the Brewers played on Friday night. Fifteen innings. <laughs> I, I'm watching this. The, the Brewers have used all their regular position players. Mm-hmm. They've used all their relief pitchers, except you know, so all they got left is a couple starters that they don't want to use. It's 15 innings. The top of the 15th inning, they have some really shoddy play. They give up two runs. Okay, so it's 12:45, and I admit. Think me a bad person if you must, but there are bad words coming out of my mouth. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, it, it, I've watched this blankety blank game till 12:45, and they've just they've done some of the same screwy things. The mm-hmm. second baseman can't catch a pop up; they're going to lose. So then you go to the bottom of the inning, and they come back and score three runs in the most improbable yep. of fashions. Yep. You know, the 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 relief pitcher who's in the game, he he walks. Um, you know, they walk him to walk the bases loaded. You know, Kratz gets a single, knocks in two runs. Arcia gets a single. It was one of the most amazing games that I've ever seen. The best part about it was there. It wasn't a home run, right? That won the game. It's in the Brewers are known to just hit home runs right. for a while. Here they did it a different way. You like that? It, it was good. just well. It was just it was just one of these amazing games, and it's kind of like okay, I've stayed up to one o'clock, and the Packers game. I mean, it's a, it's a preseason game. So, I mean, the Packers game was pretty much of a dog game on, on all these different levels. But as long as I've been going to baseball games, you just, you, and it's one of the fun things about going to live sporting events. You see something, you never know when you're going to see something that you haven't seen. And that, that, that was just an absolutely amazing game. So that's observation number one. Number two, I hope you are dry where you are. I, I, I now live in Ozaki County and I'm telling you, it rained really, really hard <laughs> yesterday, and um, I no no water in my basement or anything. But I mean, it was coming down. And my wife, who works in the hospitality industry, she works in Washington County in the West Bend area, and the, the place that got hit harder than Ozaki County was was Washington County, and um, she got out just before the worst, I think, hit, but had a long ride home last evening and stuff. And it was just then getting reports about the place she works, you know, is there, you know, is there water, stuff like that. It's just, it is amazing the power of water. So if you are drying out, um, we're, we're all in kind of the same boat together. And it seems like more storms may be rolling through tomorrow before it finally gets a little nicer. So we're all in the boat. Some, some of these pictures are just absolutely incredible that are coming out of Port Washington with the flooding and things like that. And it just shows that pretty much no matter what people do, you know, when Mother Nature gets angry, Mother Nature ends up winning. Observation number three, and I don't want to let this get lost in all the other stuff that's going on. Look, I understand when it comes to politics that reasonable people can disagree about things. I get it. 
I will say this, though. There is one issue that I just don't understand the objections to, and that is Foxconn. You know, Foxconn, yes, we are giving Foxconn, we being the state taxpayers, you know, huge incentives. I get it, but they only get the incentives if they deliver and they bring the jobs that they are promised. But because it's Scott Walker, you have people, particularly Democrats, who otherwise would have been turning handstands at the idea of 13,000 good middle class to upper middle class jobs coming into an area with all the other attendant growth. If it were anybody but Scott Walker, if it had been Jim Doyle, people would be, the Democrats would be turning handstands. And so, but we've got this silliness. Oh, Foxconn's a bad deal. To the point that, okay, Foxconn, they're, they're opening a facility in Eau Claire that's going to employ all sorts of people. But you've, you've got somebody up in Eau Claire whining about, well, gee, the place that they're going into, we would have liked to have had a restaurant there. Okay. So Foxconn is locating up in Eau Claire, and you've got somebody who's complaining that, gee, this space would have been good for a restaurant. That the, the type of pettiness and just crazy sort of knee-jerk reaction to Foxconn. If I'm the Foxconn people, I seriously have to be shaking my head going, have people in Wisconsin lost their minds, or at least some have they lost their minds? And here's a follow-up story to this. Foxconn has a big press conference this morning, and I don't want to let this get lost. Foxconn is announcing that they are going to invest $100 million in engineering and innovation research at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And they are also announcing a science and technology institute that is going to collaborate closely with the company's facilities in southeast Wisconsin. So what they're going to do is they're going to do something with the College of Engineering at UW-Madison. They're also going to be doing something, you know, closer to where Foxconn is located, um, you know, off campus. They are investing $100 million into the UW infrastructure to, again, I, the idea being, I think that they want to train people, you know, to, to take jobs at Foxconn. A hundred million dollars. That does not happen if we don't have Foxconn. And again, as I started off by saying, I understand that reasonable people can disagree on different things. To me, though, this objection, oh, Foxconn is going to be bad, or, or some of the crazies that were running for governor saying, if we, if I get elected, I'm starting litigation to try to, you know, stop the Foxconn thing. That's nuts. And I'm, I'm sorry, that, that's just nuts. And anybody who doesn't see that Foxconn is a good deal for the state is deep, 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 deep in Walker derangement syndrome. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And today's announcement is just another example of the, the good stuff that is coming as a result of the Foxconn process. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back. Was it a no-class move? In other words, should President Trump have been more gracious upon the passing of Senator John McCain? I am curious to know your reaction. We'll run down the facts. Once again, we are live streaming, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Check it out. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the late John McCain and President Trump. Stick around. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, NFL teams are prepping to cut their rosters down to 53 before next week's season opener. Where are the Packers' most pressing questions as cut-down day nears? Greg Matzik shares his list at 635 this evening. Check Greg out on Sports Central. All right. 
Let's get started. Once again, we're up on Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. We stream the first couple segments of the program live every day. All right. Over the weekend, John McCain, who I consider to be an American hero. Now, John McCain had a sort of prickly personality. And I, I certainly don't agree with all the stuff that John McCain did. I, I don't agree with his vote to kill the GOP health care reform bill last year. I didn't agree about McCain-Feingold, but that doesn't matter. We, we don't – people don't agree all the time. John McCain, I, I think 35 years in, in public life in, in America and serving in the Senate. Uh, before that, you had a guy who followed his father and his grandfather into the military. He served with distinction. Everybody knows his story. He was shot down flying a fighter uh, plane over um, Vietnam five years in the Hanoi Hilton, you know, came back. You know, relocated to Arizona, lengthy career in public service, uh, the Republican standard bearer in 2008. And, and again, somebody that he, he, he liked the term maverick. All right. That, that's fine. Did not necessarily toe the line of, of Republican party orthodoxy on all issues, but that doesn't mean that he was not, in fact, a great American. He passed away after a courageous battle with cancer. On Saturday evening, the announcement had been a Friday that he was discontinuing treatment. That's normally a, a sign that, you know, the end is, in fact, near. There was no law, love loss between John McCain and, and President Trump. During the, the campaign, McCain took shots at Trump. Trump responded with some, I, I think, some really kind of unforgivable remarks. For example, Donald Trump, who did not serve during the Vietnam War. Now, I don't think he was necessarily a draft dodger, but Donald Trump did what lots of really, really rich people did. He did everything he could to possibly avoid having to go into the service. And while John McCain was seeing something today, it said, you know, while John McCain was, you know, serving his country and was in a prisoner of war camp, you know, Donald Trump was dancing up a storm and chasing supermodels at Studio 54. All right. That doesn't make President Trump a bad person, but again, it, it's kind of the reality. So in any event, there's no love lost between the two of them. During the campaign, at one particular time, President Trump announced that he did not consider to be John, consider John McCain to be a war hero because in his mind, the heroes are the ones that don't get shot down. Whoa. Whoa. And, and, Candidly, I thought that was an unforgivable comment. Just, I, I did. I, I mean, I don't care if you're a supporter of President Trump or a detractor. I thought that was just unforgivable. And, and, you know, John McCain, again, no love lost. And he was a regular critic of, um, President Trump in some of the harshest terms. That doesn't change the fact that he was, in fact, a great American. Now, keep in mind, John McCain also, he ran for the Republican nomination in 2000 lost to George Bush. He was the Republican nominee in 2008, lost to Barack Obama. But yet, even though he lost to both of those people, he maintained a decent sort of relationship with them. Well, all right, you have John McCain that passes away. The White House staff had apparently prepared a statement that they were going to issue, an official White House statement. And the the statement that aides had had advocated for the official statement would have given the late Senator McCain plaudits for his military Senate service, called him a, a hero. So they, they had that the statement that they were going to issue. President Trump said, nope, 
We're not going to issue a, a statement praising him as a hero. So he sent out a tweet, and the tweet said, My deepest sympathies and respect go out to the family of Senator John McCain. Our hearts and prayers are with you, period. That, that, that's it. Then you have the whole question of, of flying the flag. The protocol under the Flag Act is that when, when a member of Congress passes away, that flags are flown at, at half staff for essentially a day, all right? Now, that can be and is frequently extended based on a presidential proclamation. The president comes in, and, and this has been done, and it's done repeatedly, and has been done repeatedly in the past when a U.S. senator dies. The, the president says, okay, this is the minimum that the Flag Act requires, but typically what happens is when a U.S. senator dies, the flag will be flown at half-staff until the the senator who's passed away until he's buried. That that's that is that's generally what happens by tradition. That is not what happened in this case. The flags were flown at half staff for essentially a day and a half. Now the president has declined to issue this proclamation and so that the flags go back up again. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Was was the way the president treated the passing of John McCain is it is it classless or is this to be kind of expected they weren't friends the senator senator mccain had certainly taken more than his, his share of pot shots at president trump should president trump have have done more should he have issued the official statement should he have ordered the flags to remain at half staff is this petty on his part is it classless on his part, or do we understand this? Is this just, well, they weren't friends, they were political rivals, what do you expect? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Classless or no big deal, I will give you my take on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. Once again, we're live streaming Facebook Live, facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back with your calls in a moment. 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, we're live streaming Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. Look, here's the bottom line. I understand that President Trump and the late John McCain were rivals. All right. I, I think some of the things that President Trump during the campaign said about John McCain were absolutely unforgivable. I, I, I just, I, I do. Um, but I, I understand that McCain gave as good as he got. They were, they were political rivals. But upon his passing, President Trump had an opportunity to rise above the, the pettiness. He, he, he did. Because regardless of whether you were a rival or you disagreed with John McCain on things, John, John McCain had a long and distinguished history of service as a military veteran and then later on as as a senator. And from the perspective of Republicans, he was the Republican nominee in 2008. President Trump could have issued an official statement. The aides apparently had one drafted. He decided he wasn't going to say that. So I thought, yeah, I, I thought that was an opportunity to rise above. And then this thing with the flags. Now, you might say, okay, what's the big deal? The Flag Act says when a member of Congress passes away, you, you lower the flags essentially for 24 hours. But the president has the power to issue a proclamation extending that. The last four senators who passed away, 
Now, admittedly, they passed away during Barack Obama's tenure. Uh, he, he, he issued proclamations saying flags are going to fly at half staff until the burial. And President Trump decided not to do that. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Josh in St. Francis. Josh, good afternoon. Uh, yes, sir. Hi, Josh. Um, as a former sailor, I have nothing but respect for John McCain. Um, he, the democracy that he promoted throughout the entire world is just a, it means so much to him. It meant so much to us. Yeah. Um, Mattis not having him, not having the flags at half staff across the Pentagon is a travesty. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, th- thanks for calling. I mean, and, and this the whole look. I mean, John McCain was a great American. There's just no way around it. And to, to the, look, Teddy Kennedy. All right. Teddy Kennedy was a flawed human being. His politics were as far away from mine as possible. But nevertheless, he spent a career in public service. He was a liberal lion in the Senate. And, and I mean, you know, and he he's getting more recognition than, than John McCain did. And I guess there, there's something about that that bothers me. Now, if President Trump believed, uh, well, I, I don't think... You know, we should extend flying flags at half staff for anybody moving forward would be one thing. But I don't think that's what's going on here. This is a final dig at John McCain beyond the grave. And again, I look at this. This is an opportunity for President Trump to rise above. And and he passed on it. He passed on it. Sarah in Mequon. Sarah, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, yes, Jeff. I actually agree with everything you have said. And typically, I don't agree <laughs> But you listen anyways. I appreciate that, Sarah. Exactly. And that is what the democracy is built on, is freedom of the press. And, you know, John McCain was a great man. Yes, I didn't agree with him politically, but he he was a national hero. And what the president did is classless and infantile and, frankly, disgusting. Yeah, so I, I agree I, with the previous caller and, and yeah. with you on this. No, thanks for calling, Sarah. Anyway, it, 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 I just, it was a chance to rise above you know, the petty day-to-day politics. But, I mean, I clearly, and, and I mean, you saw this, like this, like I said, the aides had drafted a, an official statement from the White House praising John McCain as a hero, you know, acknowledging his contribution stuff. And apparently the president personally said, nope, we're not putting out a, we're not putting out a statement. And he issues a, he issues a, a tweet which says, um, gee, you know, my sympathy and respect goes out to the family of Senator John McCain. No comment at all about the guy's life and career. And, and again, maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe it's not a big deal. But to me, you have the opportunity to rise above and you pass on it. Really. Mary on the Northwest Side. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Oh, hi, Jeff. Hi, Mary. You know, this isn't uh, an episode of Mean Girls, you know. <laughs> I think he, uh, his actions were classless. I think that he, you know, where more is given, more is expected. He holds the Office of the Presidency. He represents the United States of America, the White House. And for him to act in this fashion, you think he was a, a scorned cheerleader or something mm-hmm. where, 
it, it just doesn't make any sense. I think it was classless and, uh, right. like you said, it's just disgusting. Well, it, and it's, and see, and this was an easy one. I mean, all right, I, I understand that, that John McCain, like I say, was, was prickly, and I understand that there was no love lost between them, but John McCain has now passed away. That, that, you know, he's not going to be around anymore to, you know, throw brickbats at, at President Trump. This was an opportunity to be gracious, to be classy, and he chose not to do it. It it was a freebie, for goodness sake, and he couldn't bring himself to do it. He should have done it. Now, thanks for God. I mean, right, th- th- this, is, this is the easy one. It's not like if you go ahead and you say something nice about John McCain, it's going to come back and, and bite you three or four weeks later if he does something. Senator McCain has passed away, all right? So it, it's... It's a freebie to be classy at the passing of, of someone. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Joan in the Yosho. Joan, you're on WTMJ. Hello there. Hi, Joan. There is a thing that goes. There is a destiny that makes us brothers. None goes their way alone. That which we do in the lives of others comes back into our own. Time will come eventually, and he'll get What's coming to him? That's kind of like the, the simplified version of that is karma can be a you know what, right? That's, that's <laughs> yeah. essentially what you're saying, huh? Yeah, He's I, a manipulator. Well, I, I guess, but this, I mean, what's so amazing to me, Joan, is this is a freebie. The, 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 you know, he might not have personally liked John McCain, and, and I understand some hardcore Republicans might not have, but but still, this is a man who spent his life in public service and and had you know and was in the military. It would have been a freebie. Why not honor him in this fashion? You know, what do you gain by trying to be petty and and not give the man his due? Whether it's true or not, I heard that Trump got out of the service. Like he was at college, and he claimed that his heel. Mm-hmm. wouldn't stand the rigor of being in service. That's how he... Yeah, yeah, I think there's something to. I mean, thanks for my. I, I, again, I this, okay. This is off the top of my head, but my my recollection is he had he had student deferments for college, which many many people had, and then the the draft was, and and then then what it was was there was he, he found some doctor that gave him this medical deferment. But it, it it is true. I mean, he he's chasing supermodels while John McCain is uh, again flying fighter jets, you know, over North Korea. And, uh, over North Vietnam, and okay, it, you know, we we don't want to understand McCain's sacrifice. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Chris. Uh, first of all, shame on him. I'm sure his parents are rolling in the grave. Shame on him. He should be acting like an adult if he's a president. If not, get off that throne. He needs to re- respect the people that done their duty. Regardless of how shame on him to say because he got shot, come on, he's doing his duty. What the heck is he doing? Playing around like a little kid? He can't even pass kindergarten. He should be out of there. Shame on him. Thanks for call. Well, again, I, I mean, again, I, I, thanks, I mean, see here. All right, now I, I'm. I, I, I try to dem- when I do the show. I try to demonstrate like some degree of nuance and and. I, I, I want to give the president credit for things. Matter of fact, I'm going to do something later on when we talk about this, this new agreement with Mexico. I, I want to give him credit for good policy. But I will tell you, it's difficult sometimes, in my opinion, to defend some of the stuff that goes on because it just strikes me as being gratuitously mean-spirited. And, and these decisions with regard to Senator McCain, is it the biggest thing in the world? 
No, it, 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 I acknowledge it's not. But it's one of those things that I think rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And again, a completely unnecessary thing. What, what would have been the harm if following Senator McCain's passing on Saturday, yesterday morning, the White House puts out an official statement, you know, thanking, you know, honoring him for his lengthy public service and his history as a military veteran and, you know, giving him what, what would have, what would have been the harm of that? And the answer is there, there would have been none. Similarly, the, the whole thing with the flags. All right. Well, okay. It's back to business as, as usual, but typically, at least in recent history, that's how we have honored U.S. senators by allowing the flags to fly at half staff longer. And, you know, it wouldn't have cost anything for the president to do that. And again, I think he's created some bad feelings over doing this in a completely and totally gratuitous fashion. All right. I'm sorry. We've got jammed phone lines on this, but we're going to move on. And I, I know there's some people who think it's, it's no big deal. And this is more people picking on President Trump. But to me, this is another one of these sort of self-inflicted wounds. You could have done the right thing and been done with this. And instead you choose to be kind of petty and petty and vindictive and, and punch down to a situation in a situation where the, the guy's dead. He's dead for goodness sakes. Give, give him his due. Would that have been too much? 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're shutting down the Facebook Live, but thanks for participating in that as well. We'll be back with Facebook Live tomorrow. We'll be back with more of the program in two and a half minutes. 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Desmond Howard, Travis the Roadrunner Williams, and some of today's Packers are among the candidates for the best kick returner in Packers history in our newest Green Bay 100 all-time team vote. Text the number 100-414-799-1620 to make your pick. All right, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Every day, what I try to do, or most days, is, is give you kind of a rundown of some of the things we're going to be discussing on today's show, together with some of the links to the story. In about 15 minutes, there's two African-American pastors from Milwaukee who are alleging racism in connection with their interactions with a Waukesha County Sheriff's deputy. I want to share that story with you. And I've got, again, if you follow me on Twitter, I've got a link to it. I'm going to tell you all about it, and then we're going to open up the phone lines and find out whether you think this is real racism or whether this is, I don't know, people trying to scream racism when none really existed. So stick around. That's coming up. All right. The other big story, well, there's a number of big stories over the weekend, but one of the local stories is that Milwaukee City Attorney Grant Langley, and I have known Grant Langley for a long time, he is elect. he he is elected independently of the mayor and the common council. City attorney is a separate elected position. His job is to represent the city of Milwaukee when it comes to variety of things. If, you know, they, they, they prosecute traffic tickets in municipal court, for example. The city attorney's office also has the unenviable job of defending the city of Milwaukee when lawsuits are filed. Well, you will all remember the Sterling Brown situation. This was the deal. Sterling Brown was the Bucks player. Uh, January 26th, 2 o'clock in the morning, he's parked across a couple disabled parking spaces outside of Walgreens, the Walgreens store. The police roll up, and then there is an interaction. Um, from the beginning, Mayor Tom Barrett came out and started criticizing the police response to this. More tapes have come out, and... 
ultimately what ended up happening is you had a number of police officers showed up on the scene. There's footage from body cameras and things of the like, and you can hear some of the interaction. At one point, somebody tases Sterling Brown. He is not seriously injured, but he's tased. And I said at the time that I don't think that the police, I think the police conduct in connection with this lacked a lot of, I, I think the police made a number of mistakes. I think a couple of the police officers that rolled up on the scene had attitudes um, that they should have left behind. I, I think all these police officers on the scene created to a bad environment. When the first supervisor got there and saw what you had, I, I think they should have sent taken a number of the police officers on the scene and just sent them away. Nothing to see here. I think that would have diffused the situation. And I understand the fact that you have 11 officers who have been disciplined or retrained because they don't think they handled this well. All right, saying it wasn't handled well, though, is different than saying that Sterling Brown's civil rights have been violated and that the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee should roll over and write the guy a check. So there's a federal lawsuit that was filed against the city of Milwaukee. Grant Langley is the city of Milwaukee, represents the city of Milwaukee. He's the lawyer for the city as an independent duty. All right. And what he does is he files a response to the lawsuit. The document was filed Friday evening. And the city attorney's response is essentially that, hey, hey look, Sterling Brown deserve. They says we're not going to cave in. We are going to fight this lawsuit at this point in time. And it says the injuries and damages sustained by Sterling Brown, if any, were caused in whole or in part by their acts or omissions. It's kind of boilerplate stuff. But what they're saying is we're not going to just write you a check. We're going to fight this. And we believe that Brown was partially responsible for what happened here. And let's move on. All right. Well, some people, including Tom Barrett, who, by the way, is a lawyer, Tom Barrett, he's shocked about this. His response is, it's my I didn't know that we were going to fight this lawsuit. It's my hope that this can be resolved in a constructive way for Mr. Brown and for the community. I think it's counterproductive for anybody to turn up the heat and rhetoric like this. I'm trying to bring respect throughout the entire community. I'm going to continue to do that. So that is a, a not so backhanded way of saying to the city attorney, how dare you fight this lawsuit? All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. With all due respect to Tom Barrett, I think Grant Langley, the city attorney, is just doing his job. And he's saying, all right, look, we're not going to just capitulate here. Maybe we're going to end up losing this, but at this point in time, we're not ready to just settle and write a check, and we think... We can maybe prove that Sterling Brown contributed in some way, shape, or part part to what happened here. I don't think that's unreasonable. Do you? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Barrett finds it to be counterproductive and apparently just thinks the city of Milwaukee should open up its checkbook and write a check. Grant Langley says, no, no, let's 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 litigate this and see where it goes. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. I don't fault the city attorney's response at this point in time. He's doing his job. We discuss next. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, Tom Barrett cares about keeping people happy. Grant Langley, who is the city attorney in the city of Milwaukee, has a duty 
to, I don't know, protect the interests of the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee in connection with litigation. Barrett seems upset that Grant Langley has decided, at least initially, to, I don't know, fight the Sterling Brown lawsuit. I don't have a problem with that at all. And if it's just a question of writing a check, well, then maybe Barrett should reach into his own personal account if that's how he feels. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Jason. Um, all i got to say is shame, shame, shame on the mayor for saying, okay, just go ahead and pay this one. You finally have somebody looking out for the interest and financial well-being of the city, you know, saying, right. okay, well, see where this one goes instead of just somebody writing out, you know, checks to whatever and whoever and, you know. Well, right now, thanks for calling. I mean, look, look, I, look I, my guess is, my guess is somewhere along the line this case gets settled. I, I, that That's my, my guess. But they're not at a point in time where Grant Langley, whose, obje- whose job is to look at the legal issues, that's what he gets elected for, and I, he's probably not at a point right now where he says, look, I, I don't think we're in a position where we can settle this case. Maybe the demands by Sterling Brown through his attorney are unreasonable. I don't know what's going on here, but all Langley is doing is his job, which is saying, okay, no, right now, no, we believe that Sterling Brown contributed in whole or in part, that's the key thing, in part, to what ended up happening here. And, yeah, we're, we're going to defend this lawsuit. And for Barrett to decide, look, I understand politically it is expedient for Tom Barrett to say this, but that doesn't mean that it is the right thing. This is one where the mayor should be simply saying, all right, I am going to let the court process take run its course. If at some point in time the city attorney reaches a settlement, I will weigh in on that when it's presented to the Common Council. But at this point in time, I think Barrett is way out of line. 1259 WTMJ. It's 110. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Eric Bilsett, do you own any of these Yeti cups? Do you you, you Yeti at all? Do I Yeti? You mean the coolers? Well, well, the cups. Yeah, I mean, they have Yeti coolers, but they have cups and stuff like that. I don't have a cup. I have a cooler. You know, it's the little things in life. Now, Gru, who's producing the show today, do you any, have any of the Yeti cups and stuff? You don't. I'm, see, here, here, here's the thing. Okay, now, this is actually, this is a, a knockoff Yeti. It came from uh, <laughs> Sloppy Joe's in, in Key West. But I, the, these things, I don't know how. I, I'm just fascinated by how stuff works. I made coffee this morning at uh, about, uh, about before I was getting ready to leave, so about 9.15. Mm-hmm. I made this, this pail of coffee that I have here in this cup. Yep. It's still warm. It's still warm. Here it is. It's like one o'clock. It's still warm. I, I, I've got a Yeti uh, again tumbler, and you can put ice in that, and you can put some diet soda in there, and the ice will stay for hours yes, and hours. Yeah. I do not know how they do this. I am fascinated, but it's it's the life changer for me. We have put men on the moon, and we have been able to keep ice from melting in cups. It, exactly. I mean, it's just it is an amazing thing. So I was just sitting there thinking, gosh, I, you know, and it, it's just. It's it's the little things in life that just kind of interest me. I said to my wife, I "said We got to go out and buy some more of these things." And she's like, "Okay." <laughs> you know, it's, it's like whatever you say, honey. That that's that that's great. It's the little things that kind of catch my attention. All right, there is a story that, that's out there. A press conference that two African American ministers held today claiming racism in their treatment by a Waukesha County Sheriff's deputy. If you follow me at Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I sent out a link to the stories about this. By the way, once once you're on the Internet, I, I 
got a lot of feedback about this over the weekend. A couple people who've said, yeah, we, we like to listen to the show, but sometimes we can't hear it all. And we've started subscribing to the podcast. You can certainly do that. WTMJ.com. Just go to the mobile apps and then click on the podcast. Lots and lots of people do that. And you can listen to the shows at your convenient convenience. But here's the story. And, and I want to read a good portion of the way this story appears in today's Journal Sentinel or on the JS Online. And then we're going to open up the phone lines, and I want to get your reaction to it. So here, here's a portion of the story as it appears. Friends and fellow Baptist ministers, Demetrius Williams and John Patterson, had squeezed out some time from their busy schedules one May morning to go fishing in Jefferson County. On their way home to Milwaukee around noon, a tire on Patterson's boat trailer went flat. He pulled his Chevy Silverado to the shoulder of Interstate 94 in Brookfield, and he called his insurance company, who said a tow truck would be out to install the spare in about 30 or 40 minutes. All right, so flat tire, they're pulled over to the side of the road on the interstate. Traffic was whizzing by, and both men said they felt relief when a Waukesha County Sheriff's patrol car pulled up from behind them. We thought maybe he was going to put out some cones or something, Patterson said. Deputy Eric Michelson asked if they had called for a squad. Patterson said no, he had called his insurer, and help was on the way. Okay, so the deputy says, have you called for a squad? The guy says no. We've called our insurer. Help is on the way. All right. Then the men say, Michelson asked, do you have any guns or drugs in the vehicle? They said no, noting they were both pastors. All right. Next, he asked for both men's driver's licenses. Standard procedure, he said. He returned the licenses about 10 minutes later, slapped an orange sticker on the boat, and left the friends fuming. This is, again, the JS Online story. We're pastors driving home from fishing, and yet we're treated with suspicion when we should be offered assistance, Williams recounted last week. We were just stranded, Patterson said. Instead of help, they got background checked and treated like criminals because we're African-American men. We drove home feeling violated. Now a faith-based community action group, Common Ground, is launching its own investigation into possible racial profiling by the Waukesha County Sheriff's Department, etc., etc. News conference outside the Waukesha County Courthouse on Monday to present their account and ask for other drivers to experience, to recount their experiences with Waukesha County deputies. So, okay, that's, that is their story. Now, here, and then they go on, somebody that's, you know, Somebody that's uh, with this group says she's been stopped by Waukesha County deputies twice for speeding an illegal turn, was never asked if she had guns in the car. She's angry and horrified by the experience, etc., etc. Earlier this month, a captain responded in writing and said it was the deputy's practice to ask every driver he approaches about guns and that his other actions were appropriate. Now, the story goes on to point out, Law enforcement agencies typically mark a stranded or abandoned vehicle with orange stickers to alert others that it has already been investigated. So in other words, they say the reason you put those orange stickers on it is so when the next patrol car rolls up, they know that they don't have to stop. This has already been checked out. 
other departments generally say each deputy has discretion in each situation to inquire about guns and to ask for all passengers' identification. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So, in essence, if we just present these facts neutrally, you've got these two African-American pastors. They're driving home. It's noon. Um, they have a flat tire. They pull over to the side of the interstate. They call their insurance company for help. Sheriff's deputy rolls up. Sheriff's deputy gets out of the car, says, have you called a squad car? They said, nope, we, we've called our insurer. Help is on the way. The sheriff's deputy says, do you have any guns or contraband in the car? They both say no. He asks for their identification. He goes, he checks it out, comes back, gives them the driver's licenses back, and leaves after putting an orange sticker on the car. Does that strike you as inappropriate behavior on the part of the deputy? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And the phrase that's being thrown around now is, oh, this is fishing while black. All right. Does it sound like the deputy behaved in an inappropriate fashion in connection with this contact? 414-799-1620. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in a couple of minutes. But th- th- those are the facts. There- there's not allegations of... You know, the deputy used racially charged language or anything like that. It was, he asked if there were guns in the car. He asked both men for identification. And then he apparently didn't stick around and didn't call for help himself. But, of course, they told him that there was help on the way. All right. Racism or not? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, hold on. We will discuss next. It's 118. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, I read you the entirety of the factual allegations here. So as far as I know, there's nothing out else out there. The passenger, pastors, black pastors, are offended. They're broken down by the side of the road. The deputy rolls up. He goes up. He asks them if they called for a squad. They said, no, we've called our insurance company. A tow truck is on the way. He asks if they have any guns in the in the vehicle. They say no. He asks for identification. They give him identification. He comes back. He looks at it, returns it. I presumably ran it to see if there's warrants on him. I don't know. But he returns the driver's licenses and then leaves after putting an orange sticker on the, the, the boat, the, the trailer. They do that to tell other deputies that, that this has been checked out. You don't need to stop. Right now they have a press conference today. Oh, this is it, this is racism. This is terrible. And this group, Common Ground, is asking other African Americans whether they have been treated in a racist fashion like this by the sheriff's deputies. All right, does this strike you as being racist? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Joe on the northwest side. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Yes. Uh, me and my buddies were drinking way up Blue Mountain in Waukesha. I forget the name of the place. But we decided we took the same freeway back about 12 o'clock at night, and he was going way too fast past the orange barrels, all that construction. We got pulled over, asked for guns. All three of us had to give our IDs, and they breathalyzed our driver before they let us go. And guess what? We're all white. Okay. So you now, in your case, they stopped you for suspicion of drunk driving, but, but everybody in the car, including... You know, you weren't driving, your other friend wasn't driving, everybody was asked to produce IDs, and everybody was asked whether or not you you had, you had guns in the vehicle. Yes, and breathalyzed. Got it, yeah. 
they even breathalyzed me because I was the drunkest. So I said, oh, do me next. And I actually guessed my blood alcohol level. <laughs> yeah. They were impressed. Well, thanks for your call, Joe. Yeah, well, I, probably more impressed that you weren't the one that was driving. Now, again, the Waukesha County Sheriff's deputies, they say, look, the, our deputies have the discretion to, to ask if there's guns in the car, and this particular deputy, that's his standard procedure. He asked, and I, I have no reason to believe that's not true. Now, of course, the, the African-American pastors are saying, well, we think he asked us about guns because we're black or, or whatever, but um, that's they say deputies have the discretion to make that request. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Greg in Grafton. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff, how Hi, are you? I'm good, thank you. Does this strike you as, as racism? Not at all. Not at all. Every time, if, if I was pulled over, I'm white. If I was pulled over, would I say that's white, that they're picking on whites? In this day and age, you have to be responsible for every person that you pull over. White, black, yellow, brown, it doesn't make any difference. It's, the, it's what we're trying to do or what the police are trying to do, the sheriff's are trying to make sure that there aren't any weapons or drugs or any contraband in those vehicles and also on the safe side that mm-hmm. they are stickering the car or the boat and proving or showing other officers that we have checked this car. There's no reason to do it. If somebody pulls over, if there's an orange sticker on there and says, we're going to check you again, yeah, then I could see that it could possibly be some profiling, but it's just a matter of, we have to keep our roads and streets and cities safe. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Thanks for I guess I see. I'm looking at this, and I, I, I was. I'm trying to wonder what the there there is. I mean, if they said, okay, the officer, the officer made racist statements. Well, they don't allege that. The officer made us get out of the car. The officer searched the car. No, they, they don't allege that. I mean, the allegations are: officer pulls up. He goes up. He says, hey, did you call a squad? Essentially, do you need help? They say, no, we've called our insurance company. Help is on the way. Okay, at that point in time, I, I don't know what more the sheriff's deputy is supposed to do with regard to offering help. He asks if they have guns in the car. My guess is that is a standard thing. He asks for identification. My guess is that is also a standard thing. And then on the way back, puts an orange sticker on the vehicle saying, hey, it's been checked out. Nobody else needs to do it. I mean, where is the racism in connection with this? I mean, I, again, if he'd gotten people out of the car, if you searched the car, all those type of things. And I look, I get that there's real racism in this world. But I kept reading this story and listening to the description, and I'm wondering where the there is is here. And and so maybe you've got these two African-American ministers who are saying, well, you know, we don't necessarily think this would have happened, you know, if we were white. I don't know that one way or the other. But this doesn't strike me as stuff that's necessarily beyond the pale. Let's talk to Phil in Cedarburg. Phil, you're on WTMJ. Phil. Okay, let's try... um, Okay, Phil and Cedarburg. No, Phil and Cedarburg. All right, let's check out some of our texts here. Racism? Nope. Stupidity? Obviously, nobody should go on a road trip fishing without spare tires for a vehicle or trailer. No, I don't get that. I mean, I I understand. You have a flat tire, it's no problem. All right, Jeff, this is from Kevin. I'm not seeing this one. I'm 46 and white. Last week, a friend of mine and I were in a routine traffic stop in Waukesha. We gave our IDs, and we were asked the same questions about guns. In a concealed carry age, it's for everyone's protection. Sound like Sounds like the officer acted very professionally. Here's another text. Uh, let's see. This strikes me as completely normal behavior for the deputy. I had the same thing happen to me. 
I smashed into a deer and my car died. A police officer pulled up behind me, asked if I had help on the way. I said yes. My husband was coming and he asked me for my driver's license, went back to the vehicle, came back, slapped an orange sticker on my car. He did not ask if I had guns in my car. I'm a white female, but he did all the other types of things. Um, that's, I, I guess, this is kind of what I'm looking at. Here's another text. The officer did exactly what he should have done. He needs to check the ID to find out if there are any warrants for anybody um, that is on the side of the road. It's also a common practice to ask if you have a gun. I had a flat tire. I am white, and I was asked the same thing. Yeah, I, I guess I... I'm looking at this because I, I saw the headline. Oh, there's going to be this press conference and there's the allegations of racism. And I, I'm, I'm again, I'm wondering where the there is for this particular type of situation because it sounds to me like the officer did everything that he was certainly supposed to or certainly entitled to do. But all right, now you've got this liberal group, Common Ground, which is soliciting other people to say they've had bad experiences with the Waukesha Police, I'm de- with the Waukesha Sheriff's Department. I'm just saying this does not strike me as being anything at all out of the ordinary if you're broken down along the freeway. It's 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As Senator John McCain is being mourned by both Republicans and Democrats, President Trump continues to push back against one of his most vocal critics. Steve Scafidi says it's time to move on. He discusses tomorrow morning at 11. We talked about that at the start of the show. If you want to see our discussion, we, we Facebook lived it. You can go to facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. And you can watch the discussion that, that we had and still continue to participate. So that's one of the great things about Facebook Live. All right. Here's, here is the story. And I admit this is one that just makes me continue to want to scream. This is the way, uh, Channel 6, Fox 6 News reports it. Two vehicles, three departments, and several injuries. A police pursuit from Wauwatosa to Milwaukee ended with a grisly crash Friday, August 24th. So this happened Friday. Near 60th and Chambers, tire marks can be seen where an SUV jumped the curb and rolled over. The vehicle hit a van and part of a home, causing damage to everything and everyone in its path. So another day in the Milwaukee, another car chase. Officials say the crash began just about after 11 a.m. Wauwatosa police officers responded to the area of 75th and Clark after receiving a report of a suspicious vehicle in the neighborhood. An officer located the vehicle traveling around 66th and Lisbon and attempted to stop the car. The vehicle fled and a short pursuit ensued. So once again, you have this deal, suspicious car, the police try to stop it, car takes off, which is now commonplace in Milwaukee. A news release indicates the vehicle was being pursued and it struck a garage in the area of 66th and Moltke. Almost immediately after the pursuit was terminated, the vehicle drove through a stop sign at 60th and Chambers and collided with another vehicle. So the police decide this car is driving so recklessly, we're not going to chase it. We're going to let it drive away. And the car then immediately blows through a stop sign, hits another vehicle. Um, all right. So the, it, the story then continues. Uh, neighbor says, I've been living here for two years and there's been accidents back to back. The fleeing vehicle 
had been reported stolen to the Milwaukee Police Department on August 24th. So this happened Friday. The car is stolen Thursday. So you've got people in the car driving the stolen vehicle. The police try to stop the car. They take off. The police terminate the um, terminate the the chase because the car is driving so recklessly that they decide it's too dangerous. Car blows to a stop sign, hits something else. All right. So the story then continues. All right. Everybody survives the crash, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Police uh, came out. Stretchers carry away the wreckage. Cell phone video captures the Milwaukee Fire Department tending to vehicles, etc. All right. Um, one of the occupants of the struck vehicle was taken to freighter. The vehicle's other occupant was not hurt. Okay, so now the operative thing comes. Who's driving this car? Who's behind the wheel of this stolen car that tries to, again, take the police on this chase, drives through stop signs, smashes in the car, tries to get away? All right, the ages. There were three people in the car running from the police. Fourteen. 15, and 16. Three juveniles in the fleeing vehicle, ages 14 to 16, were arrested at the scene and taken to Children's Hospital for their injuries. The driver, 15-year-old male driver, and a 16-year-old female passenger, both had, wait for it, warrants for their arrest. Apparently, after the driver crashed the car, he got out and tried to run away on foot. One of the neighbors says, I saw the police chasing after a young man. They caught him because he was limping because he was injured bad. It was, in fact, bad. So you've got three juveniles, 14, 15, 16. 15-year-old, again, driver who's doing all this behind the wheel of the stolen car with outstanding arrest warrants for him. 16-year-old female passenger in the front seat of the car, undoubtedly egging them on. Um, She's got outstanding warrants. And then you've got the 14-year-old who is in the car as well. Just another day in Wauwatosa and in the city of Milwaukee. But here is what I want to discuss with you for one segment. They're 14, they're 15, they are 16. As a general rule, in Milwaukee, the district attorney won't even consider trying to wave somebody into adult court for the act of stealing a car. They, they just won't do it. No, no, we've got more important things to do, etc. So it doesn't matter if you stole 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 cars. Chances are you're probably not going to get waved into adult court. Now, in this particular case, you have people obviously with outstanding warrants, which means it's not their first time at the rodeo, even though they're 15 and 16 years old. They flee from the police. They injure people in connection with the way they are driving. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is a simple one. I think the idea of sending these people back to juvenile court is absolutely ridiculous. If you are party to a crime of stealing a car while you've got, again, outstanding warrants on you for other stuff, and you are involved in, number one, fleeing from the police, and number two, causing injury to others. To me, this is do not pass go, do not collect $100, $200. It's go straight to adult court, and, you know, certainly some degree of time is appropriate. Now, if you're a juvenile, you don't serve it in Wapan or whatever. 
But when are we going to say enough is enough? And this one starts with the DA's office waving these sweet, young, would-be gangster thugs into adult court. Do you treat this as a juvenile matter, or do you send them to adult court and let them be treated like their behavior, I think, warrants? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 142, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, not to be lost in all the other stuff that's going on today. Stock market having a big day. President Trump uh, announcing that they're, they're nearing a deal with Mexico on a trade agreement. They're not going to call it NAFTA. Um, but that the market is responding extremely positive to this. This would, if it comes into place, without going too much into the details, be very, very good for the automobile industry, be very, very good for this country. Um, the next question becomes, you know, is Canada going to get on board? And they'll turn to Canada next. But a, a U.S.-Mexico agreement would be very good. Stock market right now up 268 points. Right now the Dow is over 26,000. The all-time record high for the Dow is around 26,600. So that that's that's not in danger today. But the stock market continues to boom. The Nasdaq um, up 88 points as well. So good economic news. If you have money in a 401k plan or something like that, numbers will be good today. All right, right before the break, I shared with you yet another one of these stories for You know, about a month ago, you had the mayor and you had the police chief and you had the district attorney and everybody got together and said, we're trying to send a message that we people need to stop fleeing from the police. And unfortunately, the people that they were directing that message to must not have been listening because it seems like on a daily basis, you have a handful of police chases. In this case, three teenagers, 14, 15 and 16, driving a stolen car, run from the authorities end up as they're fleeing, going through a stop sign, smashing into cars, smashing into garages, pile into another car. People are injured. The 15-year-old driver tries to run. I'm saying, what do you do with them now? Historically, the DA's office will not waive car thieves into adult court. Well, I I think that's got to change, and this is a case that screams out for this. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Adam in Brookfield. Adam, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah. Hello, hello. Hi, uh, very, very irritating. Yeah. Uh, what they got to do, not only do you wave them into adult court, these kids have legal guardians. Guardians, find them, find them, bankrupt them, and throw them in jail. Because if I did anything even resembling near that, my legal guardian would have beat me half to death. And that's because yeah. it's got to be more than just these kids facing consequences. They have adults, supposedly, in their lives because they're minor minors. Find the adults and find them, go after them, because they're responsible for the actions of their kids. Well, thanks. I mean, there, there is a limitation, of course, as to what you can what you can do to adults, but and, and how much responsibility you can have. It, it is I, I it's it's a it is a statement on our society, though, that you have so many of these stories where it is it's the 14 and the 15 year old, 16 year olds who are who are doing this you know, who are cruising around in this stolen cars, who are then making the decision to run from the police. And, and again, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why this has gone on. And I 
I appreciate for all the, the social justice warriors out there and say, well, we need to get at root causes and we need to figure out why it is that a 15 and a 16 year old who have obviously committed other crimes because they've got arrest warrants out for them, what they're doing, you know, in a stolen car and why they're fleeing from police and, and why they, they don't think about ramming into other cars. I, I mean, and I get all that. I think that's fine. My take, though, is once they make that decision to do it and once they endanger your life or my life, at that point in time, again, it, it stops becoming, gee, where did these kids go wrong? And the problem becomes, what we, can we do to protect everybody else from them? And the juvenile court system just doesn't work, just flat out doesn't work. Let's talk to Sandra in West Dallas on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello, this is Sandra. Sandra. Um, I'm, my point about all of this is that these accidents, they're not accidents, actually, they're deliberate. They result in so much trauma to innocent people. I work in the medical field, and I've been called in to scan people. I've been called in and I've, I've, to work with these people who are impacted by the severe trauma that is inflicted by these reckless drivers. Sure. And some of these folks will never walk again. Some of these patients will be in rehab for years or more. And you can hear my voice cracking. I'm so infuriated by it because I see the other side of it. Right. It's not about the car. It's about the people that they impact and severely traumatize, and some will never, ever be the same. Right. And, and again, and I, I don't want to, and, and you're, you're talking about the human toll. Yes. Also, I mean, and think think about the other practical matter. These 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds driving a stolen car without standing arrest warrants on them, they don't have any insurance. I mean, there's there's no you know there's no ability to the extent you can even make their victims whole. You know they're they're not going to be doing that. They don't have a pot to you know what in. So you know these people are doubly victimized. They're injured. Their property is damaged, and they've got no recourse. All because of the, these these kids that have decided that hey, we can do whatever we want. And unfortunately, Sandra, we have the system that kind of says that that's true. Go out, steal cars, run. We're not going to hold you accountable. Exactly, Jeff. Thank you for no, your time. No, thank you for your call. That That is that is that, that kind of human element that's there. And I, I just, we, we spend so much time, you know, being concerned about the perpetrators. Well, where where did the 15-year-old go wrong? And there must be something in the 15-year-old's upbringing that caused him to go out and commit all these crimes and then to flee from the police. Well, okay, I don't, that that's all well and good, but I don't care about that. I care about his victims. I care about the people whose cars were stolen. I care about the people whose property was damaged. I care about the people that were injured as a result of this irresponsible contact and simply sending them through a revolving door system in the juvenile court system where we don't reveal their names, we slap them on the wrists, we beg them not to do it again, and then we send them back out on the streets to do exactly the same thing again. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. Let's talk to Rain in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, so, yeah, to start off with, I'd agree with you in that we need to, quote, unquote, throw the book at these younger right. juvenile offenders. I think that our justice system is designed for people with, you know, these juveniles with parents who are going to, you know, be a part of their life and take responsibility for them. And right. we don't have that. And I think it's... I mean, I don't, 
I don't even know if it's politically sensitive or whatever to say about it, but it's it's a black problem. I mean, you can say what you want about it, but uh, I, I you know, I'm going to say it. Well, that's, I mean, I think what it is. I mean, th- thanks. I mean, I, see, I don't want to break it down along racial lines because I, I mean, it, it's it is it is a problem in urban areas. I, I think candidly that that transcends racial groups, but it's it it's it's black teenagers, it's Hispanic teenagers, it, it's white teenagers deciding that the laws don't apply to them and that they can behave in whatever fashion that they want to. And part of the problem is we reinforce that by 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 saying that that's the case. Here you you get like I say I mean it is so frustrating to me. The district attorney's office is a matter of policy. They don't wave. They don't wave car thieves into adult court regardless of how many cars you have stolen. Now maybe in this particular case because there's there's people who are seriously injured and you've got the the fleeing police maybe they will consider it but you need to have a policy change and actually this is one where i, I think the i think our legislators are so far behind where the general public is. I think the general public has said enough is enough. And I understand you've got some very vocal members of the community who come out and they whine about mass mass incarceration. And you had some people who were running for the Democratic nomination for governor who were running on a platform of essentially clearing out the prisons. Here, we're, we're going to reduce the prison population in half in four years, which would essentially mean you're going to be turning loose a lot of people who shouldn't be on the street and you're not going to be sending anybody new in there. Now, the answer is the other thing. You need to protect society. And we are doing, in my opinion, a lousy job of that. Now, you take a 15-year-old that's driving the stolen car that presumably has a lengthy arrest record, so it's not their first time at the rodeo. Am I arguing that the person needs to go to prison for the next 35 years? No. But you know what? Five years, five years in some sort of confinement, Couple years in a juvenile facility, and then maybe a couple years in something stricter. That that's not the end of the world. And, and maybe you're either going to. I mean, then either the kid is going to make the decision that okay, I don't like this, and I'm going to come out and I'm going to try to better myself, or the kid's going to decide I'm going to be a career criminal. One way or the other, you end up dealing it with it. But we cannot have. This type of stuff going on. And, you know, whenever anybody says, well, they're only 14 or 15 or 16, don't think about the 14 or 15 or 16-year-olds. Think about the people who are injured, whose lives are changed irrevocably, exactly like Sander was talking about, because of this behavior. When will we say enough is enough? 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 158, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, maybe you should be elected as a judge if you feel that strongly about Grand Theft Auto. Now, I, I just, I'm not sure I could, I'm not sure I could get elected as a judge. You'd have all sorts of people saying, he's talking about locking people up and he might really do it. This is somebody that might really do what he says. Uh, plus, I don't think my wife would like the, me go on the judge route. Plus, I like what I'm doing now. All right. Uh, we were talking about the, the message not getting out to people who run from the police. Right. Remember, we, we have all these like ceasefire things. And here we're going to try to like go out in the community and we're going to try to talk about people not being violent. For some reason, they're not getting the message either. Five shootings, a hit and run in Milwaukee over the last three days. At least seven people were injured, including a 14-year-old boy who suffered a serious gunshot wound in separate shootings and a hit and run over a 10-hour period that early ended early Saturday, Milwaukee police said. 73-year-old man was in critical condition. I think he might have passed away. But after being struck by a vehicle that fled the scene, 5700 West Fond du Lac Avenue, 
bottom line is the mean streets of Tom Barrett's Milwaukee continue to get even meaner. When we come back in the 2 o'clock hour of the program, ESPN says, dial back the politics. John Norquist, remember him? He says, we need a streetcar. And your iPhone, it's getting bigger. Stick around. It's all coming up. It's 159. It's 207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The way we watch television has changed dramatically over the years. If you were a certain age, you, you, you remember life before Hulu and Netflix and ca- even cable TV. When I was growing up, back in the day, you, you, had, you, you had your three main broadcast networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. You had two, like it was Channel 18 and Channel 24 around here, like the VHS things. You, you had maybe PBS, and that was pretty much it. And then you had cable TV that, that came in and it provided all this competition. Now, of course, you, you've got, you, you've got all the different streaming services. And as a result of that, what's happened is people have more and more choices and TV networks have tried to figure out they're always chasing what the new big thing is. For the longest time, ESPN has been the gold standard when it comes to sports programming. And, and you know, ESPN really had, had kind of a stranglehold on, on that, that whole area. And the way it works is if you've got a cable company or a satellite provider, what they have to do is they have to pay money to ESPN, for example, per subscriber. And then they, they pass that on to the subscribers. But ESPN has always been kind of the gold standard. You know, you, it would be almost unthinkable to have a, a cable network that didn't carry ESPN or a satellite network that didn't carry ESPN. Some of us believe that, that ESPN, in trying to adapt, and by, by I say adapt, what I mean is it, the, the, the flagship thing on ESPN has always been Sports Center. You know, people tune in to, to see the highlights of games. Well, the problem, what has happened on ESPN over the years is as they've gotten competition from not just, for example, Fox Sports Network or CBS Sports Network or NBC Sports Network, it, what, what's also happened is that ESPN has faced competition from the, from, from the Internet because now, let's say you're a Brewers fan. And you want to watch highlights of the, the Brewers game. Well, you, you don't have to wait until Sports Center comes on at 10 o'clock at night. You know, you, you can go on the internet, you can find the, the highlights. Oh, I hear Aguilar, Aguilar hit a home run. I, I want to see it. You can go do that. You, you don't need to be in front of a TV. And that has impacted, I, I think, you know, what ESPN does. So one of the things that ESPN decided to do a few years ago, I think in an effort to try to, and I'm putting this in air quotation marks, stay relevant, is they started encouraging their personalities to be more political. And the idea is, hey, this is going to make us more hip, more happening. It's going to be edgier. And this is going to be a way that we can bring in, you know, more eyeballs and, and younger view, viewers, particularly those younger viewers, viewers who aren't tuning into Sports Center to watch the highlights because they've already seen all the highlights they want. One of the, the people who was kind of at the forefront of that was this female 
sports anchor, Jamel Hill. You will remember her, perhaps, because last year she called President Trump a white supremacist in the wake of what happened at Charlottesville. And, you know, the White House responded by saying that she should be fired. Um, She wasn't fired. She was talked to. In October of 2017, she was suspended for two weeks after she suggested that fans could boycott Dallas Cowboys advertisers after team owner Jerry Jones threatened to bench his players if they didn't stand for the national anthem. And I guess it's okay at ESPN. You can call the, pres- you can call the president a white supremacist, but if you suggest that advertiser, since ESPN carries football, advertisers might want to consider boycotting the Cowboys, that, that goes too far. <laughs> you, know, that's, you, you, you can't you know, bite the hand that, that feeds you. Um, all right, so then after she gets suspended, President Trump, you know, wades in. He sends out a tweet saying, with Jamel Hill at the microphone, it's no wonder ESPN ratings have tanked. In fact, in fact, tanked so badly, it's the talk of the industry. So ultimately what ended up happening is she, this Jamel Hill, um, after serving her suspension and stuff, she left Sports Center. And she went over to, you know, work on some special projects at, at ESPN. And the, the reason I bring this up is she's now leaving ESPN. Those are the reports. She apparently had time left on her contract. They're negotiating some sort of buyout of her contract, and, and she'll be gone. The uh, estimate is that she's going to be gone by the end of, I guess, the uh, end of the week. Um, last day will be Friday. Um, and apparently... One of the reasons for this is that she decided that she wanted to be involved in politics, and ESPN had decided that they wanted to get politics out of of their coverage. The new guy who took over at ESPN apparently has been very, very clear that you know he's tired of dealing with the allegations that you know ESPN is this liberal network, and he he wants to get back to what made ESPN ESPN, and he's desperately trying to change the narrative that surrounded the companies and its personalities over the last few years. Uh, the president says, this would be the president of ESPN, says, I will tell you, ESPN being a political organization is false. I will tell you, I have been very clear with employees here that it is not our job to cover politics purely. And so there, there's no question that this is, you know, one of the things that's driving a, a contract buyout to send this Jamel Hill on her way. All right. One segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I won't say that I have stopped watching ESPN entirely other than watching particular live sporting broadcasts that they offer. I will say I have cut back dramatically in part because I'm tired of the politics. I don't want politics with my my sports. And I, I do say that, you know, when this Jamel Hill was, was on SportsCenter after these incidents, I, I wouldn't watch it. That was just kind of a statement that I made, uh, again, because I, I, I appreciate, look, I appreciate talking about politics. I'm a guy who makes a living doing that. But when you tune into my program, you know that it is in part a political show it's current events but we also talk about politics that's what you tune in for when you tune into espn i think you want sports you want highlights and you don't want editorializing from sportscasters 
So 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't believe that this is going to be the first shoe that drops, but I think ESPN is making a concerted effort to try to get back to where it was before and take the politics out of the network. I think this is going to be a good move, and I think it's long, 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 long overdue. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Are you has ESPN become too political? Has it turned you off? And by weeding out some of those personalities that are unable to separate sports from politics on a regular basis, will it make you more likely to watch ESPN again or watch it more? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in two minutes. It's two sixteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. ESPN took a conscious, I think, turn towards politics a couple years ago, I think partly in response to the fact that they were struggling with their core audience. You know, people used to tune into ESPN for scores and for live sports and for results and for highlights. And, and, And now, with the Internet in particular and rise of competition, you don't need that as much. You know, if you want to if you want to see if you're a fan of Liverpool soccer and you want to see the highlights, well, if, and you've missed the game, you don't have to wait at Sports Center at 10 o'clock. You can just go on the Internet. You can find all the highlights. So in an effort to try to, I don't know, broaden their appeal, maybe um, what they did is they started going into the cult of personality. Let, let's hire these personalities and then. Let's kind of turn these personalities loose. And what you found is that a lot of the people they hired were kind of hardcore lefties who had very, very strong political feelings, fine. And then they would bring that into the, the commentary that they offered on shows like Sports Center. And what they found is it was turning a number of people off. The poster child for that was this woman named Jamel Hill who labeled President Trump a white supremacist after Charlottesville. And then she said that, well, I, you know, Jerry Jones says that he's going to uh, punish people who kneel for the anthem. I think advertisers should maybe consider, you know, not spending money on the Cowboys, which, okay, you know, given the fact that ESPN is in bed with the National Football League, you've got one of their personalities saying, well, I don't think that maybe these advertisers should spend money. That that generated ESPN's response. So the new president of ESPN is trying to reverse this whole trend, and the new president of ESPN is saying, look, I, I don't – I don't want politics. You know, that that is not what we are about at this network. We are about sports. And the first shoe to fall was this Jamel Hill. Um, they, she's gone. She's, she'll be gone, I think, by Friday. They've negotiated, apparently, a buyout of her contract, and she's going to do other stuff because she wants to be political. And that that's, that's fine. Go with God. But I don't think it belongs on ESPN. Here's a text. I miss the Chris Berman days. Um, yeah, I do, too. Here's another text. The ESPN... All ESPN now is stories about politically charged controversies. They don't show highlights or sports anymore. I stopped watching them years ago. Now, I don't know that that's completely fair, but clearly, and there there are, by the way, there are stories where where sports and politics are are going to, I I think, perhaps overlap. There's no question about that. At the same time, though, I think you have to make this decision. Are you primarily going to be a sports network or are you primarily going to be, again, a network, an MSNBC or a Fox News? Because if you're going to be MSNBC, that's fine. 
but then understand that you're going to turn off a lot of viewers. Here's Bill in Oconomowoc who texts, I have not watched ESPN in about eight months because of the politics. I've also stopped going to concerts. I go for the music, not the political views in the middle of the show. Um, yeah, I mean, there's... There's no question uh, about that. It's one of the decisions that people make. ESPN is responding, and candidly, I think they're doing the right thing. The question becomes, are they doing the right thing too late? 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, crew, who's producing the show today and always? Is bigger always better? That's my question. The, The size matter. Crew wants to know what we're talking about. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Couldn't lure you down that route without this. All right, we are talking about cell phones. And I'll be back into this topic. I, I told a version of the story the other day. A couple weeks ago, I went to uh, I went to Canton, Ohio, Jerry Kramer going into the Hall of Fame. And I, I by way of background, I own two iPhones. Long story as to why I have two iPhones, but I have two iPhones. I have my iPhone 5, which I've had probably for five years. I have it in my hand right now. Um, and I have like an iPhone 8. The iPhone 5, the, the screen, it's, it's about four inches. I, or, or so that, that's like the, the, the screen size. It's about four inch display. All right. I, I like it. I'm sitting in Canton, Ohio and I, the battery, and I've had it for a few years, the battery goes nuts, and it just kind of like discharges completely. So the phone is not operable. So my my lovely wife says, well, you know, you've got this newer one. Why don't you just finally take old paint, put it along the side, and use this new one? You don't even have to buy a new one. All you have to do is transfer all the stuff you have over on your iPhone 5 to this. It won't take too long. If you want, we can get, you know, we can get, the granddaughter to come over, she can do it, you know, it, and it'll, it'll solve the problem. I said, no, no, because I, I, I like the smaller phone. So I ended up going to Batteries Plus, and for 60 bucks, or actually it was 40 bucks, they have, you know, I, I take on a new battery, and so old paint has new life. So I, I have my iPhone 5 that, that I like, but it does have a smaller screen on it. And I, I guess even though it's a smaller screen, it, it's big enough for everything that I need to do. And as a matter of fact, I like it because I like the size of it. It fits in my front pocket. My iPhone 8, which is bigger, it really, I won't say it doesn't fit in my front pocket, but it doesn't fit well in my front pocket. Now, if I regularly wore suit coats like I used to in another life, it wouldn't have been a problem. I just kind of put it in there. I, I don't, you know, I just, it, it doesn't, the bigger one doesn't fit that well in my pockets. And so I, I like the size of this one. Now, I bring this up because in early September, Apple is going to be rolling out the next generation of iPhones, all right? And and even though they haven't officially announced it, one of the things that is kind of being leaked out is that if you think the iPhones are too small, well, they're going to be larger than ever, all right? Now, the idea is there's apparently they're saying that there's going to be three new variations of iPhone. There's going to be the successor to the iPhone ten which is an, like an iPhone 10 Plus. It is expected to have a 6.5-inch screen, which would make it the largest iPhone ever. 
larger even than the just released Samsung Galaxy Note Galaxy Note 9 which has a 6.4 inch screen. The current iPhone 10 has a 5.8 inch screen. And like I say, my iPhone 5 it's like 4 inches or something like that. Um then they're going to have another one that has a 6.1 inch screen, but the the bottom line is they're making them bigger. And in some cases, a lot bigger. And they say that's what people want nowadays. It's all about having the larger screens on on your iPhones. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, this might be one of these situations where I, I kind of remain the dinosaur on this. But for me, as these phones get bigger and bigger, I, I understand, and it's cool if you're going to be watching video and doing things to have the bigger screen. But the convenience you lack in being able to carry them around, particularly if you're a guy. Now, I understand if you're a gal and you're carrying purses, you throw it in and it really doesn't make any difference how big it is. But for a guy, if you're not carrying around a, a purse, you know, it, it you got to figure out some place to put it. And at some point in time, like I say, the, the iPhone 8, as I try to explain to my wife, one of the reasons I, I don't like it, and let's say I don't like it, but one of the reasons I, I still keep going back to old paint is it fits more conveniently in my pocket. But things like that aren't going to be available for us moving forward. All right, when it comes to iPhones, the size matter? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, hey, my thoughts are, uh, the, my phone is uh, Galaxy 5. It's like 4 or 5 inch screen right now. It's almost too big for my pocket. The new phones, if they're going to be bigger, I think these companies are in cahoots with the clothing manufacturers. Pants <laughs> with bigger pockets and purses with bigger purses. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's just a question of convenience. Like, I understand. For ladies, if you got a purse, okay, it, it doesn't matter really, I guess, how, how big it is. And I can understand the higher resolution. But really, what are guys... What are guys supposed to do? You know, when when and, you come to these and things, versus like Europe, right? Yeah, well, thanks. Well, that, thanks for coming. I'm not quite ready for that. All right, we're going to take a very quick break. This is, and I bring this up because everybody has cell phones, and this is the wave of the future. What the cell phone manufacturers have decided is that we want we want them to be bigger. All right, is bigger. Better. Does size matter when it comes to iPhones? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are on the line, please hold on. We'll be back with more of your calls in just a moment. First, though, it is 2.31. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Melissa Barkley. Thank you, Jeff. We are under a flash flood watch. That is in effect until Wednesday morning. With more rain in the forecast, nine inches fell in some areas of Ozaki County late Sunday. That flooded several roads in that area. And the Milwaukee River in Ozaki County is expected to crest at midnight tonight at 14 feet, which could be a record. The Trump administration says an understanding is to replace the North American Free Trade Agreement omits a provision Canada and Mexico opposed after the U.S. proposed it. Instead, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Leitzer says periodic reviews will be required once the new agreement is signed. The agreement will be enforced for 16 years. Foxconn is unveiling a new partnership with an historic $100 million donation to UW-Madison. UW Chancellor Rebecca Blank says the donation opens up endless possibilities for their students. Time now for a WTMJ Drake & Associates market update. The Dow is up 247 points to 26,038. NASDAQ is up 65 points to 8,011. And the S&P 500 is up 19 to 2894. 
WTMJPellaWI.com. Time saver traffic. Few delays out there. 45 southbound Good Hope Road to the zoo. You're looking at one extra minute at 10. 94 northbound Ryan Road to Layton Avenue. Just two extra at an eight-minute ride. 94 outbound from the Marquette to in Marquette Interchange to the zoo. Looking at seven minutes. The zoo to Highway 16, just 10 minutes. 41 45 southbound Highway Q to the zoo interchange. Just 15 minutes and no delays. 94 southbound from the Marquette to Layton Avenue at nine minutes. The WTMJ five-day forecast for today, partly cloudy. And as you know, it is hot and sticky out there. Slight chance for some thunderstorms later. A high 90 heat index could reach up to 100 degrees. For tonight, muggy chance for storms. Low 74 tomorrow, partly cloudy, hot and humid again. Chance for strong storms later on. A high near 90. Wednesday, mostly sunny. It's going to cool down a little bit less humid, too. A high 72. We'll welcome that Thursday, sunny. High 74, and for Friday, mostly sunny. Looks nice to end your work week. High 78. Right now in Oak Creek, it is 83. West Bend, it is 83. And in Milwaukee, we're at 82 degrees. I'm Melissa Barclay, News Radio, WTMJ. And I'm Jeff Wagner. The tweets about this are fascinating. 414-799-1620. The new iPhones are coming out, and they're going to be larger than ever. Apple thinks that's what people want. Are they right? Stick around. It's 2.36, Jeff Wagner, WCMJ, so very glad to have you with us. Harley's 115th anniversary party is almost here, and riders are descending from all across the nation to Milwaukee. Scott Warris is in for John. He talks to some riders on their way um, at 3.50 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to check that out. Yeah, I think it's it's great for Milwaukee, who's producing the show today and always. You know some of the people that hate this, though, and I know a couple of them, they, they they work at different Harley dealerships and all, and it's it's a week where, you know, if, for example, if you sell Harleys, almost nobody is going to the dealership this week to buy Harleys because if, if you're coming in, you've got a Harley already, and so yet you have to work all these like long hours, and you're probably not going to be selling any of them. And but but it's great. I love the fact that people are coming here, and um, hopefully they will leave a lot of money behind. Hopefully the weather will cooperate as the week goes on, and everybody will have a great time. All right, if you're just tuning in, I, I admit I'm, I'm fascinated by this as an element of, of pop culture. iPhone, and of course na- nowadays, you know, whether you use an Android or an iPhone, a, a cell phone is is ubiquitous. I have I have two cell phones, long story, but the one I use is like the iPhone 5, which the screen is is four inches, all right? It's one of the small ones. I like the size of the phone, um, and matter of fact, when it started to die on me a couple weeks ago, I went out and spent whatever I had to spend to replace the battery, and, and I love it. I love it. It's plenty big enough for me. I have an iPhone 8, which has a larger screen, but it's not as convenient for me to use because... I, it it doesn't fit as well in my the pockets of my pants. It, it's that simple. Well, the new iPhones that they're going to be rolling out in the next week or two are going to be even larger, and they, they've made the decision that that's where the market is. Uh, one in the story I'm looking at, you know, one of their analysts says it's all about video. The primary audience for phones is young people. And it's young people who spend most of their days watching video on their phones, and they are demanding larger screens. So that's the idea, that the marketplace now is essentially people want your, their phones to not so much be phones, but rather be like portable television sets or something like that. So it's all about screen size. 
414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is that where you are, and is that what you want to see? All right, swamp with text. Uh, let's see. Bill says, Jeff, I'm with you. I'm perfectly comfortable with my iPhone 5. It works for me. If I want a bigger screen, I will use my laptop. Another text, Jeff, I don't want a phone that's the size of my iPad mini. Yeah. Um, let's see. Justin says, Phones aren't phones anymore. They're portable computers that people sometimes use for talking, often with video. And as big as they're getting, they'll soon be too big for even the largest ladies' purses and clear plastic bags permitted at sporting events. It is, however, the the trend. Um, Let's see. Another text. Jeff, I think Apple is trying to find that happy medium between the iPad and cell phones. iPad sales have been declining, and a bigger phone screen bridges the gap of not having to carry two different devices. Um, um, Harry says, I like the larger phones because I can see more information on my screen. My old, my uh, eyes are getting older. Bigger is better. Um, Steve, in West, I've had iPhones since the first one. Size matters, and I'm using the iPhone 10, and we'll be getting the bigger win one when it all comes out. And here's one others. I'm in my mid-30s, and I still use an iPhone 5 simply because of the size. I work construction, and it fits in my pocket, and all I need is email and Internet access. I refuse to upgrade because the phones are too large. It's to the point where they might as well be an iPad. Clearly, you know, that's clearly that's the trend. And, and it is, I guess, all about video, and it's for the people that want to use it on a regular basis. I guess... The, the question becomes, are we really moving away from the whole idea of we're using cell phones? And they're no longer going to be cell phones, but rather they are going to be uh, essentially, they're going to be the iPads. They're going to be the laptops. This is what you're going to use every now and then. So you want to have the video as much as you possibly can. For me, um, this is one of those cases where, again, I, I think from a convenience perspective, since I use my phone primarily as a phone and, you know, occasionally to check emails and things like that, that that's fine for me. And I want size. I want the smaller size. I think, though, I'm probably in the minority. And the bottom line is, if you're like me and you want those smaller phones, I don't think you're going to have too many choices moving forward. 241, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, John Norquist, remember him? He's weighing in on the streetcar. Stick around. 243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Looks like rain, at least for the time being, pretty much, other than a couple of scattered pop-up showers, pretty much out of the area, at least for the moment, which is certainly good news after everything that's happened over the last couple of days. Um, tonight, I think, particularly in the northern part of our listening area, they're worried about maybe some more heavy rain and potential for more big storms tomorrow afternoon and evening before the weather finally clears up starting on Wednesday, just in time for all the Harley riders to get here, which would be nice. And for those of us who have seen enormous amounts of rain hitting in our areas, that is uh, that is very, very good news. All right. John Norquist. You don't even know who John Norquist is, do you? You're just, yeah. See, this, this, no, John Norquist was the mayor of the city of Milwaukee before Tom Barrett was the mayor of the city of Milwaukee. And he was elected to a couple terms. He, he, John Norquist is a very, our, our politics could not be more apart. But John Norquist is a very, very interesting 
I find him to be an interesting guy, even though I disagree with him on lots and lots of stuff. He left the mayor, the mayor's office under kind of a cloud of scandal because he got involved in a Bill Clinton type of thing with um, aid in the mayor's office. And so it was, it was kind of an unseemly departure, but that doesn't change the fact that John Norquist is a very, very interesting guy. John Norquist, and I am perhaps paraphrasing, but I don't think I'm being unfair. He hates roads and he hates freeways. He was instrumental in having what was the Park East Freeway torn down. There used to be a freeway spur that ran from essentially where the, you know, I-43 is now and and ran to the east side over the, the area of the Park East. John Norquist, he hated freeways. He believes that freeways essentially choke out, choke off cities because it makes it easier for people to avoid cities. And so he was the proponent of getting the Park East Freeway torn down. And, and, and the promise was you tear down the Park East Freeway and you're going to see all this economic growth. It's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to have all this development. Well, that was a false promise for years and years and years. The, the Park East was essentially a moonscape. Now that is changing thanks to the fact that you now have the partially taxpayer-provided um, Milwaukee, the, the arena, Pfizer Forum, which, by the way, I was at Pfizer Forum on Thursday. Really nice. I think we've got a chance to go there. You're going to be very, very impressed. But but now, with what the Bucks are doing, while it's been a long time coming, now maybe some of Norquist's vision for the Park East will be realized. But in general, the idea that, hey, if you tear down the freeway and you're going to have all this development, that turned out to be pretty much of a flop. But now, like I say, it's finally changing, and there is, I, th- I think, you're starting to see you know, a revitalization of that whole Park East area. But you know, John Norquist didn't like freeways, and he didn't like roads, and he was a big, is a big advocate for you know, urban transportation. I've always thought that you know what what Norquist was really saying without saying is that he wanted to make it so difficult for people to get in and out of the city that, that they essentially had to abandon their cars and so people had to live in the city now to me i think that always missed the point because i i think for for cities to to grow what you want is you want to make it easier for people for example, if you live in the city of Milwaukee and there's job opportunities in Waukesha, you want to make it as easy as possible for people to get to those job opportunities in Waukesha. Or if you live in Washington County or Ozaki County, you want to make it as easy as possible for people to come down and go to the Bucks game or go to dinner. But th- that's just a philosophical thing. Well, in any event, and I sent out a tweet about this a couple hours ago, uh, you know, John Norquist has a, a piece in Urban Milwaukee, which is one of the you know Internet the news sites. And the headline is, Why Milwaukee Needs a Streetcar. Let me share with you a portion of it. In 1945, at the end of World War II, Milwaukee had 350 miles of streetcar lines and 198 miles of interurban electric trains that served Burlington, East Troy, Waukesha, and Sheboygan. In addition, passenger trains connected to Madison, Green Bay, Chicago, and beyond. There were over 80 round trips to Chicago provided by the Milwaukee Road, Northwestern Railroad, and the Electric North Shore Line. In addition, there were 110 miles of electric bus lines run by the Milwaukee Transit Lines. All this service was privately owned and paid substantial state and local taxes. In the post-war era, the U.S. government spent huge sums on road building and zero on transit and trains. The state of Wisconsin likewise concentrated dollars on road building. 
Um, in the rest of the developed world, monies were spent in a more balanced way on transit trains and roads, etc. In Milwaukee, all streetcars, interurbans, and electric buses were gone by 1964. Well, let me stop there for a second. Why do we think that is? Why do we think that after having all these roads, all the railroads, all the streetcars, etc., why do we think they were all gone by 1964? Well, could it be that nobody wanted to ride them? Could it be that people would rather drive the cars? And so by building the roads, it was a response to a demand of what people wanted. I mean, as a practical matter, if you can drive a car or ride a bus, most people are going to choose to ride the car, drive the car. And that's why people didn't ride on the streetcars, and that's why the electric buses died, because people made a consumer choice. And that's why, to me, I think it's just insane that we are taking a step back and we're going to technology that, you know, existed a 100 years ago that people rejected as a transportation alternative. So anyhow, the the piece that uh, former Mayor Norquist goes on to write about talks about how, you know, in many Western European cities, what they've done is, you know, they've turned to like streetcars or some of these other forms of, of mass transit, which I would add may very well be the case. But that's because the population density makes it impossible to drive. I mean, look, I, I understand if you live in New York City where you've got all these people that are around and there, there's not enough parking spaces and the roads are always congested and you can't drive, you have no choice as a practical matter other than to take the subway or take the buses or, or try to hail a cab. That's not the case, though, in a place like Milwaukee, where it is still relatively easy to to drive around. Now, the fact that you've got these streetcar lines in place, that might make it a little bit more difficult. But still, it's easy to get around. We don't have the population density of a New York or a Chicago where, you you know, you or, uh, again, a Paris or a London or any of these other places where, just as a matter of necessity, it's not practical to drive because of the narrow streets and the number of people. So, I mean, I, I don't understand necessarily why, because you, you have something in, in Paris, that means you need to have the same thing in Milwaukee when, you know, things are, are, are different and the dynamic is different. Anyhow, the, the mayor continues, former mayor continues, I support the Milwaukee streetcar. It begins the restoration of a system that served Milwaukee's people and property during the period of the city's greatest prosperity and growth, to which my comment would be, it's it's not 1935 anymore. Times have changed, people have changed, and, and the reason why streetcars and electric buses fell out of favor is people didn't want to ride them. They wanted to buy cars, and even for people that don't own cars, for many of them, one of the first things they do when they get a job is they then take that money and they buy a car because they want the freedom that that gives them. All right, the mayor goes on to say he would also support expansion of passenger train service. I would also support light rail, same as the streetcar, only on its own right-of-way, electric bus or bus rapid transit. They would all add value to Milwaukee, 
unlike the freeways, which damage the city badly and unnecessarily. If the billions of dollars spent expanding the Marquette and Zoo interchanges had been spent on transit, Milwaukee would be much more likely to have added tax revenue to support and expand city services. Well, maybe, or maybe Milwaukee would be completely and totally dead because what would happen is if people didn't have roads so they can get out of the city or if they live in the suburbs so they could get into the city and work, then maybe you'd have Milwaukee be in even worse shape. Bottom line of all this is, I I understand that you've got a lot of these urban planners that think the way you grow a city is essentially by keeping people prisoners. Let's make it so difficult to get out of the city or into the city that people just, you know, give up their cars, which then means, you know, you have to have ways for them to get around within the city. But building a that that's essentially like escape to New York. That's like building a giant wall around the city and saying, Okay, this is gonna be great. This is gonna how be gonna how you're gonna have to, you know, get around. But then what does that do for the people who choose not to, for whatever reason, live within the city. In any event, it's an interesting piece. I sent this out on Twitter. Um, again, we, we have some people who decide, hey, look, we want to go back to this technology that existed in the 1930s and the 1940s, and we want to try to bring that into you know 2018. I just continue to believe that 15 years from now, they're going to look back at all the streetcar building that we've done, and you're going to have a new mayor, and you're going to have a new common council, and people are going to be just shaking their heads saying, what were they thinking in 2018? Speaking of, what could he be thinking when we come back? Uh, John McCure is on vacation. Scott Warris is in. We're going to find out what Scott and Melissa Barkley have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. 254 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.